0: Hello this is episode 4 where we will be talking about Christ in the wilderness, Jesus in the desert countering the temptations of the devil. And it is March 2019 and we're still in the season of Lent. So this is a good text to explore. So let's get started. (music) Welcome to the Gumberza podcast where we explore the intersections of social justice, faith, and action. I hope this helps us continue growing and serving God by serving the people. I am your host, Janelle. Here's things that may be new to you. Jesus in the Wilderness is one of my favorite stories to explore. Um especially when looking at the text through the lens of social justice, through the lens of social transformation. It's a really interesting text that, that actually speaks to and points at strategy and tactics for social change. I mean we could look at it that way. Um, I mean we're gonna look at it that way today. So just to put this into a little bit of context, this story, Jesus ends up into the wilderness because, um, well, this story immediately follows his baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist was out um, by the river making proclamations about how people have to change their hearts, have to change their lives. that something new is coming and that someone new is coming as well. So we have to remember that there was a big crowd when John the Baptist was doing this. Because there was a big crowd, mostly of the poor folk, mostly of the masses, we have to believe that he is preaching something that is liberating since folks are willing to go out to where he is into the countryside to hear it. Um, And so Jesus is one person among the crowd He makes this intentional decision to be baptized, meaning he makes this intentional decision to be initiated into uh, this community, not just this community, but this movement. So him being baptized is a show of his commitment to this movement that his cousin has helped to bring him into, um, initiates him into. And then after the baptism Jesus is called by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness so it's it's in this context that we want to look at this story all right so I'm going to read the text and it's from Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13 it's not too long Um, but anyway listen to this text and um, see if anything stands out for you as we explore today Jesus returned from the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and afterward, Jesus was starving. The devil said to him, Since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread. Next, the devil led him to a high place, showed him, in a single instant, all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus answered, It's been said, Don't test the Lord your God. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. So that is the end of the reading. Uh, One thing I have to note, it's funny to me sometimes because... Um, I've seen Christians actually quote verse 7 of this text Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours And I think that some Christians post this Thinking that it's God or Jesus that says it But you know what? It's the devil that says it So it's really important that folks uh, Check the context of verses that they're posting um, Because you might just end up posting uh, Something that the uh, devil said thinking that it's God's promise to you. Anyway, <laughs> I always find that pretty funny when folks do that. Um, another thing to note in this scripture reading is that the devil quotes uh, the sacred scripture back to Jesus. He, The devil actually quotes um, the writings of um, Jesus's faith to him as part of his way of temptation, you know, part of his way of lying. One of the key characteristics of the devil in um, the Judeo-Christian tradition is that the devil is a liar. The main thing is that the devil is a liar. The devil is deceptive, the devil is manipulative. And so the devil will do and say whatever it takes. Um, Sometimes things will sound good coming out of the devil's mouth when it's really not something good. And before I sound too preachy, um, I want to get deeper into this text a little bit more. Um, I do want to explore also the, the fact that there's an emphasis here in this story that the devil grants worldly success. And um, we have to understand then that God... Uh, grants us things in ways that are different than the devil does. The God doesn't um, grant worldly success in the way that the devil does, um, which shows us that God gives to the people in a way that's different. God uh, values and prioritizes the collective versus um, the salvation of just the individual. And I think that's something that we need to really... Uh, remember here when we talk about the ways that the devil gives versus the ways that God gives to God's people. So in this story, Jesus denies these three things that the devil offers, right? So the first thing is that uh, the devil says, the devil says, since you're God's son, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. And Jesus, although he had been fasting during this time, um, he denies it, t- he denies turning it into a loaf of bread. And his response is, People won't live only by bread. And I think that's an important thing to remember. For me, I feel like Satan or the devil um, telling Jesus to just turn the stone into bread um, reminds us how, you know, people don't just need bread. Um, there are people in our world that are hungry that are starving, but it's because they're subject to a system that takes away more than just food from them. Um, When we think of giving to people, especially those who are homeless, houseless, those who don't have the means, um, we might think that the solution is to just give them the material things that they need, that, that the solution is to just give them bread is to just give them money is to just give them those things but what jesus i think is really emphasizing here people won't live only by bread he's not saying that bread isn't important he's not saying that bread isn't necessary he's saying that bread isn't the only thing that people need in order to live um, We are not here just to feed our bodies and just to survive, we are put here in order to thrive and to grow as people, to grow as individuals and to grow as community. And while we do want to feed people, we also want to ensure that we go for long-term solutions that are not just about bread, but about the long-term dignity um, that people can live in dignity for the long haul. And um, I think that's the thing that that Jesus is is um, reminding us of here. He's not saying that, you know, wanting bread is a petty thing. He's not saying that bread's not important. He is saying that there are other things other than being able to turn stones into bread um, that can that can really bring transformation into this world. So, Jesus here in this moment moves us from a sense of charity into a sense of justice, moves us from only short-term solutions into looking at long-term liberation. The second thing that the devil offers or attempts is... um, the devil brings Jesus up to a high place, you know, has a Mufasa Simba moment and says, look at all of that the light touches. This is all mine and soon will be yours. That's what they say in The Lion King. Uh, the devil says, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. There could be a tendency to get caught up in this idea that, wow, the devil is entrusted to the world, you know, and is entrusted to the kingdom, but we don't know that, you know, the devil ain't playing straight with us. So we don't know if the devil's making empty promises or not, but basically what the devil is offering Jesus is supreme rulership over all, over all of the kingdoms, you know, he's saying to Jesus that he will Uh, make Jesus the ruler of everything. And while we think that a benevolent ruler, we just need a really good leader, the right person in the right place, Jesus himself turns this down, right? Um, That's like if the devil offered the United States Empire to Jesus and, you know, many people would be able to trust Jesus to do the right thing. Maybe we would all be fed. Maybe we would all be experiencing justice under Jesus's rule. At the same time, Jesus says that, you know, I am not the one to rule all of this. In fact, God is the one who will rule all of this and God is the one who we're going to serve. What I see or how I see this text is that um, Jesus knows that God's God's rulership, <clears throat> or God's um, God uh, God's power, isn't necessarily through a kingly type of rulership. God's power isn't only going to be manifested, and maybe cannot be manifested, through placing the right person at the head of an empire, as long as it is an empire. Um, It sounds to me here that Jesus is not about um, putting the right person in the right places. Jesus is about something a bit more. I think that we, especially us in the U.S., we have this tendency to think that if we just have a new president, then things will be different. You know, there will be justice. And some folks think that because of this, think that it's only been it's only been bad because of this current administration. Um, I'd like to think that Jesus is a bit more woke than that. He knows the history of his people, that under different rulers, there has been war, there has been unrest, there has been injustice, and no matter who you put at the head of empire, it's still an empire. Um, I think here in denying this temptation, God, I, I mean Jesus, <laughs> invites us into thinking about uplift and community and transformation in different ways. that it isn't only about going through the system and putting the people or the quote-unquote the right people in the right places but uplifting the poor and oppressed that they may be uh, the ones who move us into a new society, into new ways of being. Um, Not necessarily repeating and playing into the old systems but bringing in something new. The devil, the third thing that the devil The devil uh, tempts Jesus, Is um, the devil brings Jesus to the top of of the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is like the center of government, the center of power at that time, at least for um, the people of Palestine under Roman Empire, brings them to the highest point of the temple and says, since you're God's son, throw yourself down from here uh, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up in their hands so that they won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus says, it's been said, don't test the Lord your God. This text, I feel like, first of all, one thing that makes us truly human is that we are mortal. And um, the devil wraps up this um You know, wraps up questioning Jesus's faith, and also um, tempts Jesus into just throwing away, throwing away his life, or putting his physical being in danger just for the sake of um, proving something, proving God's goodness, and proving God's justice. Um, And I think that Jesus counters this temptation one by recognizing the mortality of human beings. And because of that, not being reckless, um, not falling into making unnecessary sacrifices, not falling into the type of, you know, let's just go all in and risk a bunch of lives in order to win something quickly. um, Jesus is really encouraging us in this moment to uh, value life. And also to not take God's power for granted, and not to put transformational um, or societal change, not putting it solely on God um, to test what God's will is, but to do some work. You know that we are also part of this. It's not. It's not like we uh, give up and throw ourselves into a sense of fatalism where you know, whatever happens is God's will and things like that. But remembering that God has a will for us. God has a will of life for us. And Jesus in this moment is respecting God's will for us by honoring his own life, his own safety, and not throwing it away for petty challenges or tests, you know. Um, Jesus is willing to do the long-term work of preserving life, of defending life, and cultivating life. Jesus isn't trying to be a superhero. Jesus denies all of these temptations of the devil, knowing that Jesus is already equipped with what he needs in order to uh, create change in this world and amongst the people that he is called to serve um, Jesus, we remember that Jesus is brought to the wilderness, to the desert after his baptism, after he commits to this movement, he goes off to be alone, to fast, to prepare. And some people might see this as a time of self-care, you know, um, our society, especially U.S., A society has turned self-care into manicures, spa days, and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus was not having a spa day. I want us to remember that here. He's out here in the wilderness, hell of uncomfortable, for 40 days. Um, The devil even pays him a visit. This isn't like good, -good feel-good self-care work that Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing the hard work of confronting evil, confronting the devil, and doing that inner work that he needs to do in order to come back to community. Jesus is sent to the wilderness after committing to community and he's going to come back to his collective. Jesus' self-care, this time of solitude, is connected to the collective well-being. He comes back to do the hard work. He doesn't stay in the wilderness. He doesn't go to where he's most comfortable. He goes back to do the hard work of being alongside the people, of participating in their uplift, and participating of, in uh, justice. Jesus' Jesus's self-care um, is happening alongside collective care. He is strengthening his principles. He's strengthening his conviction. He's strengthening his um, sense of direction in, and his role in this movement. Jesus counters the temptations of the devil with his folksy knowledge of the Bible. This isn't, well, there was no Bible back then. (laughs) His folksy knowledge of his people's sacred journey. You know, it's not like he pulls out theses. It's not like he pulls out books in academia in order to counter the devil. He is able to counter the temptations with the knowledge that he had learned from the poor and the oppressed and because he is from the poor and the oppressed because he's from the poor and oppressed class he knows best what the struggles are he knows best what oppression is he knows best the mindset of his people and therefore he knows best what will bring social transformation he knows best what will bring liberation and justice wholeness and healing for his people. Jesus ain't no fool. He's no punk. He's not gonna fall easily into these temptations. And these are hard temptations, right? Even today, those of us who are committed to um, to doing justice in this world, to um, fighting for liberation in this world, we fall into these temptations all the time, thinking that. Charity is the answer and will bring about the solution. But we know historically, charity is not the solution. People being able to rise up, people being uplifted, those are the things that have brought change and development in our society. We fall into it all the time thinking if we just have the right person in the right place of position, then things will be different. You know, if we just put activists in the right position, you know then that will bring about change while yes that can bring reforms we know that in the long term what we need to do is fight for a new system a new way where people aren't going back and forth on reforms but are being able to implement long and lasting principles and long and lasting um justice for for all people and some of us may be tempted to just go all out and do whatever it takes, um, even at the risk of our own lives, at the lives of others, that we should just go in and do whatever reckless things we need to do without putting forth the groundwork and strategically planning and doing the proper the proper um, development of our own knowledge um, of the conditions, of the people who are involved, of the issues and all of that before we take action. I'm not saying that we should be paralyzed um, by not knowing enough, but I'm saying that we cannot just jump in and um, make sacrifices and inflict wounds on our movement in ways that, you know, in ways that where we aren't prepared for the consequences, where we aren't prepared for the repercussions. Where the community is not prepared to handle um, the consequences that evil will deal back to us, that empire will deal back to us. And so, my hope is that this reading um, and this conversation is a way for us to come back into a space of realigning our principles, you know, that we take this time during Lent to. Um, deepen our convictions, to deepen our commitments, to let go of the things that are not helpful for us and our movements, and to be able to let go so that we can more creatively bring life and bring new things into the ways that we do activism, into the ways that we do justice work. And I also pray that this time is one where we can draw inspiration from Jesus as someone who is strongly rooted in the uplift and liberation of his people. So um, we are still in the season of Lent, and I hope that, you know, there's some time left. So even if you haven't started your Lenten practice, you could still start. Um, You could still take part. You could still do what you need to do, what you feel God is calling you to do in order to recenter and reground yourself so that we could be prepared for when resurrection comes, you know? All right, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, review, share this with folks so that we can get some good theology out there. I'm not trying to say my theology is necessarily good or my perspective isn't good, but I know that when we have these conversations that um, the people will bring good theology out of it. You know, the people, um, especially those of us who... um, don't necessarily have that platform. This is a way for us to build on that platform. I hope to have interviews um, in the future. In the meantime, um, we a lot of us are preparing to go to Washington DC for Ecumenical Advocacy Days. Some of us are looking for support and in San Francisco Bay Area, there will be a report back or a night where you can support folks. And um, that will be on March 31st, I think. Wait, no, 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 30th. There, that's the Saturday. And If you're connected to iChirp, the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, go look them up on Facebook. They're not that hard to find. You find them on Facebook, you can get connected to events because it's not just in the Bay Area that this is going on. It's also um, all over the United States where we're going to have events that are going to prepare us for Washington, DC. So please look us up, iChirp, and um, get involved. All right, so with that, thank you again. Serve Christ, serve the people. Peace out, y'all.